Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who just refuses to stop reading at the table, like a heathen. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and uh, maybe if my mom respected my me and herself. <laughs> and my studies uh, in Flemish. And, and my studies in Flemish and would finally have sex with me. I wouldn't have to read all the time. At the, she would just at the give table. in to my Oedipus complex. This would be fine. Yes. That's all I'm saying. Oh, man. I'm so glad my mom doesn't listen to this podcast. I'm really glad your mom doesn't listen to this podcast, too, frankly. I don't want to even be tangentially associated with what's going on here right now. Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for just a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to a bonus episode. We do a non-criterion film over there, and uh, supporters get to vote on what we're going to watch, put together a list every month. Sometimes we take suggestions from supporters, and that's led to some uh, some really fun stuff. We watched uh, Godzilla <laughs> Uh, GDK after one of our supporters suggested it. We watched Now You See Me after one of our supporters suggested it. Uh, and uh, yeah, we just watch a, a, a nice variety of films over there. Some Sometimes uh, really good movies, sometimes really bad movies. Uh, just the whole gamut, you know, from from We're, Ernest yeah, Goes to Camp to Ernest Scared Stupid. Yeah, we just believe in, the, a, in a sort of uh, film equality where we'll watch anything. And uh, if we put together a list that no one's interested in, uh, there's a release valve, and it is Kazam, which is always a choice on any of the Which, Which I'm lists. starting to suspect that they don't want to hear us talk about again. Anyway, that, uh, all those bonus episodes, you can, you can get the entire back catalog of bonus episodes, and that is all for just $1 a month. For a little extra on that and uh, $5 a month, we'd just like to thank those people on air. And thank you so much to Stephen Goldmeyer, to Chris Otto, and Eric Coronado. Yes, thank you very much. Our current $5 supporters. A little above that, we do something that I think is pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard, write a little personalized thank you note, and mail that off once a month. We also like to thank those supporters on air. So thank you so much to Nina Bajnak, Patrick Yako, Adam Speakerman, Michael McGrath, and Jason Westhaver, our current $10 supporters. Thank you. If you want to see those postcards or uh, order one from the past, you can head over to redbubble.com and search for Lost in Criterion and uh, see most of the back catalog. I don't put them up as soon as they're released, just uh, so that our supporters can have a chance to interact with them be, and get them in the mail. Cuddle right? with them. <laughs> before, uh, sleep in bed cuddle with them, them if for they a want. while. Yeah. Uh, Sing to them. You know, before before they uh before they get put online uh you know just see them at the very least so our supporters can see them before everyone else can see <laughs> them caress them gently yeah. if they want bathe if they them want. kiss them yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> what else can you do with on the long walks like the postcards just ruined after like two days i took yeah. i did what you yeah. guys suggested i i bathed it and showered it and <laughs> stuff with it and it's just gone i don't know what happened my handwriting might be more more legible if you bathe the postcard. <laughs> so. So, well, love is fleeting, you know, and uh, yeah, 
yeah. Anyway, we have a lot of fun with those postcards. I know Pat enjoys making the I art, do. and uh, everybody everybody does seem to enjoy getting it. There's I'm, been a I'm lot waiting of until we Pat's cross artwork, this sort of so. boundary where they're like, oh, man, I really wish this didn't come into my mail anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I need this to stop. I assume that does happen eventually, but uh, we haven't hit that point yet, well, which it, I'm glad. This it doesn't seem... It doesn't seem like anyone's left the ten dollar tier because they hated the art. So, <laughs> not yet. I haven't been uh, trying hard enough. Yeah, you should. You should turn that up a little yeah. bit. Patreon.com/slash Lost in Criterion if you want to get in on that support. Very grateful to everyone who does Absolutely. support us. Very grateful to everyone who listens. Uh Pat. What? This week. Yes. We are talking about a very long movie. Um, I, a good movie, an interesting yeah, movie. I, yeah, but it was it was very what long. A long movie. Well, but like, it's 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 really fascinating to me. Like, not to just absolutely make sure we do not get through the intro of this podcast correctly, but yeah, thanks. What I'm fascinated by is the idea of a movie that's. I don't know. It feels intentionally long in a different way than we usually engage with. Most of the time, yes. it's like yes. movies are that we engage with are long because either the. It feels like either the creator didn't know how to move it along faster or they had some sort of semi-narcissistic agenda in making it quite long, whereas this is conveying a point through the length itself in many ways. Right, yeah. Other other times a long movie is long because the story they want to tell is long, right? Right. Uh, whereas, whereas here the story is long because individual elements – of the story they want to be truly they want to truly realistically portray right. and that is that is a different choice right um anyway the movie we're talking yes, about yeah. is jean dielman uh 23 quiet de commerce uh 1080 brussels more commonly known as just jean dielman uh because that's a very long title uh, almost as long as the well, movie itself the, mo- the title of the movie uh, is engaged in the same artistic endeavor that the movie is which is right, to make right, you tired right, before is, you get to the end of it <laughs> Yeah, which is which is always always good to have that consistency <laughs> right, of purpose truly between title and, and, across and the work. Board. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's from 1975. It is directed by Chantal Ackerman. Uh, I believe her first feature length film. I'm unclear on that because every interview I watched made it seem like that was true. But then if you look at the Wikipedia, it's like, well, actually, she started making this movie after completing this other movie that was successful and won it and like was able to like use this that movie to leverage bigger bigger budget i i'm a little confused to be honest so i you he she had come out the year before this and that's also on the criterion channel i watched a little bit of it it's black and white it's uh seems it seems interesting but unfortunately i started it late and did not (laughs) did not finish it um uh not not this week it was uh it was a while back that i that I watched that. That was feature length and before this. And I think this might be just her second feature length. Uh, she had done at least one short before, and that's one of the bonus features on this disc. Uh, it's actually, uh, there's an entire separate supplementals disc because there's so much uh, on this uh, on this release. Um, but she made a short when she was 18 uh, called Blow Up My Town. Uh, in English or uh, in French, it sounds a little a little more fancy. It is uh, <laughs> "Sauté mes villes," um, but but literally translated, "Blow up my town." Um, that was sixty-eight. Now she was born in nineteen fifty, so she was eighteen when she made that short. She was twenty-five when she made this movie. Right. Um, she got into filmmaking because when she was, I believe, fifteen, 
she saw Pierre Lafau, the Goddard movie that we talked about a few months ago. Uh, and she was just so bewildered that a movie could be like Pierre Lafau <laughs> is. Yeah. Yeah. That she decided she had to make she that had to make a, movies. Which is such a fascinating response to that movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh it's a great response I, to that. No, movie. it is. Particularly, it's, just, it's just not the one you would expect to like, well this right. this movie's weird as fuck. I'm gonna I, I should, should make movies. Should, yeah, it's an interesting yeah. response. I don't know. I feel like it comes from a place of being like really that that pump must already be super primed, right? Right, 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 right. Um I feel like when we talked about Pilar Rafael, there was a story we ran across that it was, in fact, the first movie Ackerman had ever seen was Pierre Lafau. Oh, yeah, but, no, yeah. yeah. But she hearing, explains it better, the context of it. It's the first sort of, like, art house right, film right, that she had right. ever seen, yeah. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, we her, did talk her, about that. Her talking about the movie is uh, a little different. It is not, yeah. She's, it's not the first movie she ever saw. It is just as Pat said, the first sort of art house movie she saw. Um, and it is, you know, a very different movie and very interesting movie. Yeah, and it's... I, if you, if you watch blow up my town, I think you can see the influence of Pierre LaFau. Mm-hmm. Uh, blow up my town. It deals with a lot of the same, uh, same themes, domestic stuff as, as John Dielman, uh, right. but is much more anarchic, much more frenetic. Yeah, I mean, uh, it definitely has a. It is. It is interesting to me because, like, the, yeah, that is that is true. It, it has a lot more of that. That it seems of a piece in a specific time of that sort of like, oh, the correct response to this feeling that this sort of entrapment gives me is to explode and right, do right, like right. wild shit that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And uh, it has the Pierre Lefau ending, uh, in that it is a freeze frame and then an, an explosion, right? Right. Uh, but uh, but a very different a very different hit in its freeze frame suicide explosion, right? Uh, in the, in Sante Maville than uh, than Pierre Lefau certainly, whereas Pierre Lefau is very cartoony in it. There are cartoonish elements of. Uh, but, but it does feel but the it ending just is generally feels less yeah. cartoony because it, it, it because of the way it's shot and everything like that it feels less cartoony right. and more like hyper like someone it, having a yeah, breakdown exactly. it feels more yeah. real in that <laughs> yeah. sense it, it, right it, right like if you didn't know any context on it you were like well this is a person having a breakdown like yeah 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 for sure it's it's a very interesting companion piece to Jean Delman just because the kitchens look so similar. They're not the same kitchen, no, I don't I think. I think we're looking at standard Brussels kitchen <laughs> or something, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they do feel they do feel very similar, uh, and we just the camera moves a lot more in Sainte-Maurice, right? right. Uh, so we see a lot more of the kitchen and just get different angles on the action happening in the kitchen. So yeah, it is it is a very interesting piece. Uh, but it is, I think, most interesting in contrast to John Gelman. Um So I'm sure we will make reference to it, but talking about it in a vac in a vacuum of having not talked about John Delman yet uh, doesn't make as much sense to me right now. So John Delman, uh, it is uh, a three hour long film. Uh, three hour and twenty minutes. Thank you very much. Three hour and twenty minutes. Um, that is <sighs> hyper realist. Well, uh, in yeah, many ways, yes, yes, and yes. 
That's true. It is. It, it, I would argue that it takes on a nearly. Sur- <laughs> it's a very weird argument I'm going to make, but its realism gives it an almost surrealist feeling to it. It's so real that it, like, because also keep in mind, it's real in the sense that like individual actions take appropriate amounts of time in their own context, but time still, we've still displaced time ra- massively, right? Like making a like veal cutlet takes the amount of time it make, takes to make a veal cutlet, but it's three days that doesn't take three days. Right, right, right. So, right. so what I mean you is see. you get this sort of like, you get this, you, you pick up this sort of, okay, like I don't know how to describe it, but if you pick up this, it, it gives us this very interesting air to me where like it feels like you're, you're like time skipping through time like and pausing right. for extended period of time on individual elements of a person's day that it, it, it's a, it creates a really I, – I don't know how to – like for me it creates a very sort of like almost dreamlike atmosphere for me, but not like in the yeah. good way – not in the way that people usually describe dreamlike. It, it I don't know. It's a very strange experience. It, I, it's very engaging in the way it works. Yeah. So, not a hundred percent certainly, but the more we get to her regular daily in-house stuff, the more it becomes real time. Right. Uh, particularly with her cooking, you know, her sexual encounters happen the length it takes to boil potatoes and that's like that's one time skip we get is that right she puts the potatoes on her john comes they have sex off right. screen i mean black, babysitting takes three <laughs> right. three minutes or whatever <laughs> right, like, right, and, like right 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 and and, and it's yeah. and it's there's a lot of interesting intention yeah in the way that time is handled about what things receive a right. full length time focus on what things don't there's a they th- that is a very meaningful set of choices that are made throughout the film yeah and where that gets sort of interesting to me in another turn is that all of her outside errands when she leaves the house and is running to the stores are the interactions are shorter the real time segments of those are shorter and the whole thing is much more, much more quick, so that we see you know two hours worth of errands in the course of five minutes. Right. And what that gives to me is a feeling from the character that is not necessarily textual to the character, but just to the grammar of the film. That she is much more comfortable in her apartment and wants to get back to her. Right. Apartment. Yeah, I see what right. you're saying. Yeah, I I would agree. <laughs> It, it, it's hard to it, it's where the it's where you get into that problem not a problem but that sort of difficulty of separating the creator so yeah ackerman's sort of analysis of what they want to talk about from what the character might or might actually experience right because like it's hard to say well is that because the character's unhappy being outside of the house or is that because the character because the movie needs you to focus on what happens in the very sort of like sort of imprisoned space that is that apartment. Right. Right. Like, you know, like it's hard to say, right? Because she goes to like, I mean, she's a very uncomfortable, awkward person at all times, no matter where she is. Yeah. 
But like yes. she clearly goes to a coffee shop and sits and it's and we time lapse it essentially because right. it takes all of like a minute and a half to get through that entire coffee shop. Not even. Despite the fact that that's that's impossible. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's right. actually there, physically impossible. She is she is at the coffee shop for a su- much shorter amount of, despite the fact that we see it in quote real time. She is at that coffee shop for a much shorter amount of time than she would actually be at that right. coffee shop. Because if, if she's she a regular actually, yeah, yeah. the waitress knows what to bring her, but she's not there. She's not meant to be rushing through that coffee right, shop right. interaction, right? Uh it just happens to happen quickly. Um yeah. Our our main character, Jean Delman, is played by Delphine Sirik, uh, who we've we've seen a lot. Right. Uh, most recently, she was the star of the female lead of last year, Marion Bad, uh, which we watched uh, about two months ago, I think. Um, that was 14 years prior to this. In the meantime, she'd also done uh, some Bunel stuff, uh, Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie she was in. Um, and I think at least one other Bunel we've seen. Uh but yeah, and she's fantastic. There's a great behind-the-scenes documentary that's one of the bonus features here uh, that is mostly her and Ackerman sitting in the kitchen discussing the scenes, discussing the character. Right. Yeah, uh, I couldn't watch that one because I didn't have an extra hour. Yeah. Like, that That was <laughs> Right, that right. Was it long. is an hour long, and and after after a three-and-a-half-hour movie, there's, you know, a lot to do. Um that one's interesting because it shows it shows Sirig trying to get into the character. Mm. Uh and there are moments there are moments where everything's on board. And she understands what's happening, she understands the the domestication of uh, you know the the domestic the showing of the domestic is what we're doing here, right? Walking through. Well, you should be on the balcony for 26 seconds before you come back in right and then right. you crack you crack the egg here you put the flower here uh there is a delightful scene there was an all-female crew for this movie um that ackerman actually uh one thing i ran across ackerman talks about maybe not being the best idea because she she hired the women who applied for the job, not necessarily the women who would be able to work well, together. Yeah, the and best. then in one of the other interviews <laughs> with her, she talks about like, well, basically, like, like, like women who do lighting didn't exist, like right, at all. Right, 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 so right. like, yeah, she's essentially having to like kind of train. It sounds like she's kind of having to train her workers while she while they're trying to do the right. thing, which is like not ideal. But she also, in that same interview, offhandedly had said, like, well, of course I wanted to hire an all, like, 80%, at least 80% women. And it's like, well, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it's kind of one of those things where, like, this is, I don't know. I get a lot of mixed messages about, like, in the sense that, like, I think maybe, it's hard to say if she, like, is displeased or not. Because, like, she accomplished her goal. It was just harder than she thought it would be because, like. The system was there's, never set up to make that possible. Yeah, right, right. There's some there's some stuff in that behind the scenes thing that uh, that gets at that. There's some some crew back and forth, uh, particularly about the veal cutlets and whether or not the flower should be directly on the table, which I found very interesting. Of 
of every crew member weighing in on on what they would do in this situation. Right. <laughs> was well, there a newspaper we could put down or a or a cutting board or uh, well the table doesn't feel right because the table should be wood or formica someone says. Right. <laughs> it's, it's just Well, but that's a, very... but that's the thing though, right? Is that like that's I know that that might have been probably annoying, but that's also like part yeah. of the value proposition right. there is like you're trying to tell a story like because Ackerman's is like, well, that's, this is what I lived with my whole life. It's like, well, yeah, but right, everybody right, on your crew right. lived with this their whole life, too. Right. And right. had all slightly different, but very, very the same experiences. Right. Right. Those conversations are actually very valuable, I think. Um, Maybe annoying, the, but also valuable. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right, right. Struggling this the movie, final, but, you know. The final sequence of that documentary I find the most interesting because it's generally shot chronologically to the film. So the final sequence of that movie is about the final John scene right. in the film. Uh, and first off, there's like 30 people in that bedroom. Uh, it's just they're so crowded <laughs> right, while right. they're shooting this. Uh, but uh, but it starts off with uh, with Sirig and, uh, and Ackerman sitting on the bed talking about the – about how the scene is going to play out and work workshopping how the scene is going to play out and Sirig saying, well, this doesn't work for me and Ackerman saying, well, we'll, we'll do it this way then. And that's, that's frequently the back and forth they right. have throughout this. But, uh, Sirig literally tells her at one point while they're talking about the sex scene and how Sirig should be reacting during the sex scene. She says, blush all you want but I need you to give me direction here. Right. <laughs> like, like Ackerman is embarrassed about telling Sirig right. what needs to happen here, which is very interesting. Um, and then Sirig not really understanding the motivation for the murder right. in, in the individual scene here. And Ackerman not really being able to see, yeah, like, describe it. And I noticed that, like, I'm really, I'm actually fascinated, like, the movie itself is a deeply, deeply fascinating work, but as I watch more of the document, like the sort of supplementary materials, I'm almost equally, if not more, fascinated by like the people who are who made this movie between Ackerman and Sirig. Uh, like, I couldn't ever get either of them the impression that they could articulate what this movie is, which is really fascinating right. because I feel right. like. And again, like we're just casual, like passerbys, right? We're just sort of pedestrians walking by, but like I feel like I could articulate what this movie is in a fairly right. limited number of sentences. Well, and they had like they, especially, and I what I noticed is because I decided I was like, okay, fuck Criterion Collection. However, they order this shit in this thing. The one thing I am going to invest time in is I'm going to watch every interview with Ackerman in chronological order from the time they were made. So I'm going to watch okay. the one that is in the seventies. I'm going to watch the one in the 90s, and I'm going to watch the one in the 2000s. And I'm going to see if there's any change in the way – like, not change. I'm not, like, trying to, like, call her out or some shit like that. But right, I want to see right, how yeah. her, her – because they've included this thing, which is beautiful, right? It's yeah. like a time capsule. It's like a, a – you can literally watch an evolution. Because we've noticed this before. Every artist seems to evolve in the way they talk about their work, even a individual work over time, right? It's like, okay, I want to see right. – what does she say – because you can see, like, even, like, in the pictures – like the preview picture is like, oh, in one of these, she's like in her mid thirties. The movie's not yeah. that far behind her. She's probably still it's still very fresh in her mind. And then how does that change as she gets 
older. As she gets further away, she gets more distance on it and like kind of like recontextualizes it, right? And you do see pretty massive amounts of like sort of development over time in her sort of conception of it because in the first interview, she cannot explain <laughs> what this movie right. is about. And by the time you get to the third interview, like she's she's she and I think she's kind of she fully has grasped her own work, which is really an interesting thing to say. But like I think Echo describes what a lot of artists go through, which is like right. And and, it, and I don't know it's really just fascinating because like in that first I one, think... she cannot she cannot explain it. She did it, it's it, and you get these sort of it's sort of the sort of idea like when you're listening that like the idea sort of just came to her and she's like well this is a thing we should that should be made but couldn't really explain why and then as she got older and she started to be able to understand the character she wrote better right she started to understand why she needed to make the movie it's it's very fascinating i don't know right no it 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 absolutely makes sense and i think i think that uh I think artists in general, writers in general, uh, would benefit by being honest about the fact that their relationship to their work changes right. over the course of, of life. Uh, and with a movie, obviously it's very different because it's very public. Right. Like the stuff I wrote in college, I have a very different relationship right. to than I do now. Uh or had then than I do now, and I can articulate what it was about differently now than what I would have said it was about when I did it. You know, and I think about you know our website projects in the right, past right. too. Yeah. I can I can talk about them differently and about what it's saying that I didn't even realize what it was saying back then. Right? I was thinking about this. Uh, Jonathan, who does our theme music, uh, has been. Uh, Throughout COVID lockdown, he was working on a movie script that was essentially us in high school after 9-11. And just thinking about all the stuff I did artistically from 2002 to 2009. Right. That was definitely an unconscious response to 9-11. Well, yeah, I think, I yeah, would, yeah, for sure. That I could not articulate as an unconscious response to 9-11 uh, until the last five years or so. Um, so, yeah, you know, Ackerman right. slowly coming to understand her own work makes sense to me. Right, right? absolutely. Or understand it differently. Um, and, and that's in the, yeah, totally. It's just, it's just, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's, yeah. I was, it's sort of yeah. also, this seems like it is an unconscious response to sort of, the positions and roles she sees the the women around her being forced to assume that right. presumably people wanted her to assume. Uh, right. And, and it's really fascinating because in that first interview, she talks about the same basic idea, which is like, oh, you know, I watched this all around me my whole life, which is a really fascinating thing because, you know, she's, she's 25. She has not lived the life like, or even anything that's in the same ballpark <laughs> as this. In her life. Right. She has seen she's a, other women around she's a, her live this. Yeah. She's observed female relatives and is making a story based on her mother, based on her aunt. Right. Right. But she is not, uh, she's not lived this herself. Which uh, is, 
in the same fine. Thing. Like that's yeah, art. people no, do it all the time. Right. It's just a fascinating thing yeah. because it is amazing what this movie is when you consider the fact that in many ways you can watch the person in that interview and see it as sort of a like kind of a petulant young person writing a sort of like hit piece on like on the women she's not like hippies but like kind of a condemnation of the sort of world that the the women around that she's grown up with I hit, lived in certainly a, a hit piece on that world that's kind of that's what i meant yeah <laughs> yeah right and like that's so. yeah, yeah, not on those women right, specifically right. It, grandma you're going to you're going yeah. fucking down grandma but right. like you know no, no, no. and it's and it's interesting because it, for all of what she sounds like in the interview, the movie itself has a great deal of empathy and feeling for, despite it being very just a day by day, you get a lot of sense of a great deal of like, I don't know, I, I don't know if I want to call it empathy, but you you feel that she wants to really engage with this character. And not just like write this character off or or right, denounce right. this like like it's so based on the interview it just sounds like she's gonna go the movie would be a place where it's like basically like because we've seen other kind of dramas in the same vein from the some of the other directors we've watched not exactly this thing obviously very obviously but where right. they're like oh I'm gonna tackle the malaise of the suburban housewife or 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 salary man or something like that and it comes off as sort of attacking them to a certain extent or attacking whereas this doesn't have that same feel to it right 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 like i think ackerman understands gene dealman uh to a to an extent right right obviously she comes to to understand dealman in different ways throughout her life but uh you know this movie is dealing with very similar things to say two or three things i know about her that we watched right. just three weeks yeah. ago yeah and and godard never understood well that, <laughs> understood that's kind of where i was, was going with this in yeah. the same way right right? Yeah. right uh and of course godard had gotten away from the the really the trappings of neorealism by that point uh you know, uh, in the, if Godard was ever really a neo-realist, right. the French New Wave took influence from neo-realism, but but was doing different things too, uh, particularly Godard. Um, but you know, even even the Italian neo-realists, you know, the real real realists who are making the sorts of stories like Jean Delman is are still doing 90-minute movies, right? Right, right? They're not doing realism in the same way. We're not seeing Umberto D make an omelet for, for 10 minutes. Right, and, right? and I, I think it's also <laughs> worth noting that, like, in many ways, this might be the most pure of those things we've ever seen in the sense that right. all of those, other than the last 10 minutes of this movie, Sort of setting that aside because th- there's a realism there, but is a is a sort of different sort of emotional right. realism rather than a sort of like physical realism that the rest of the movie has. Because, yeah, maybe that would happen, but it also seems very far fetched, honestly speaking, in the grand scheme of things. Um, like up until then, 
you're like, yeah, people who fall into routines, as speaking as somebody who is very prone to falling into deep, deep <laughs> routines, right, when they are right. upset, it is a deeply, deeply upsetting experience. And it does start a sort of a spiral, but I've never murdered anybody yet. Uh, and all, and all, not to say that this is comparable or anything like that, but my point being that like the number of people who are deeply routine driven people who slip into murderous, like, right into the throes of murder are rare. <laughs> like, st- st- I think we can statistically prove that that is extremely rare. And the only reason I say yes. is that, that that makes the the end part more emotionally real rather than physically real to the real world, right? It's trying to represent an emotion, not a not a thing that actually happens. Right, um, right. And I, I just bring that up because the rest of the movie is maybe the most real movie we've ever watched in some ways because when we talk about like uh, neorealism and things like that like what we kind of get into is that they always in the end revolve around people going through extraordinary circumstances something is always extraordinary about the situation or in even or the time or or it never really just focuses on like a person going about their day like Right. In a normal environment, like what we would consider normal, there's always something extraordinary about it, and so you know, yeah, that makes it kind of special, yeah. right? Right, right. You know, uh, now there is there's an argument to me, but you know, people like Bresson are are making movies where uh, what we see as extraordinary actions are really normal for provincial life, you know, of of a young woman being ostracized because she is suspected of having had sex. Of, right. You know. Yeah, I mean, but what I mean <sighs> but, is is what I'm saying is is that that's still a once in a lifetime event for that woman. Right, 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 right. Even right. if it is a normal thing what what we're talking about is the difference between macro and micro realism, right? Like Right. They, like they might be macro real, but on the day they still represent an extraordinary event in that person's life. Whereas up until yes. we get to murder, nothing is extraordinary about this if the events in this person's life. Well, this is their normal life. That is that raises us to an interesting area of the movie. Okay. And that is the halfway point where things start to fall apart. Right. In watching the movie myself, and even revisiting it after after watching some interviews with Ackerman, mm-hmm. uh, I don't see on screen a trigger for why she has. A well, breakdown. okay, I I get a little confused because because of the way the movie sort of runs together in your brain, I'd need to watch it a few more times. Yeah. There seems to be it seems to be it's waking up late, or sorry, waking up early. But I suspect yeah. that the real trigger that we're we're whether Ackerman later on in later interviews, Ackerman sort of acknowledges that this is her mentally her real trigger is yeah. that orgasm she has, which may or may right. not have been the first one she'd ever had in her entire life. Right, right. Which Ackerman, which is a whole other thing because it gets into some sort of some sort of like feminist politics. We, I don't really like in that are we, that are yeah. Mm. We get some some maybe subtextual suggestions that she had that orgasm. Uh, 
you know, her son comments that her hair is disheveled. She, but, well, but that's also part of part of the breakdown that is already yeah, starting to happen. Yeah, that's that's what right? I mean. Is it, it that's kind of weird? And I think I think if you were ever going to point to a flaw in this movie, like if you were ever to like be really, really a hard, like just a real hard ass, and be like, I'm going to, I'm I single handedly will undo this movie. You would fail, but like. My point is, is that like where I'm going with this is that the thing you would probably realize is that the things are slightly in the, the wrong order for to right. make a real clear point because the orgasm being a part of an ongoing breakdown rather than being the trigger for a breakdown. If you're going for this sort of like later on, she Ackerman seems to be leaning towards a more sort of like radical feminist sort of one of one of many versions of sort of radical feminism that's like well this woman has never known what it's like to have like any sort of like real joy from her own sexuality and so she and once she experiences that that causes like everything she's all the choices she made to sort of unravel is definitely the kind of movie you could make and, and people have made uh, yeah. and the problem with that is that that doesn't like, I don't think timeline wise in this movie is how it all works out. And so it makes the, the orgasm, a, a, an effect rather than a cause. Yeah. Which is, which is kind of a weird place for it to be in, in really any movie, but yeah. My, my reading of this movie, having only watched it right. once, um, in its entirety, at least my reading of this movie was that. We spend the first hour and a half establishing the routine. Yeah. And then there is no trigger for why the routine stops. It's just the fact that you can only wind a clock spring so many times. Well, and, right? and that's where I so, kind of, that's personally where I operate on <clears throat> yeah. is, is it all starts to fall apart because like that's the nature because of existence. To, well, but right? also like, yeah. like no matter how set you are in routines. And again, I'm some, someone very, very prone to this. My wife would attest to this quite hard, quite easily and heartily that like and then i also react very poorly when to when they are broken or when things break yeah. my routine or my plans um i do not i'm getting better but i do not handle it well um that's also a part of the function of life as this kind of person is this just happens sometimes and there's just right and yeah, it sucks, and you spiral, and things go real and bad for a while, and you hate it, and it drives you crazy. And then eventually it settles back down, and you set up the new set of routines that will guide you for however long you can sustain them before the right. real world breaks them again, because that's yeah. what it does. And we, we could get down into nitty-gritty because there's no overt textual, this is why this is happening. We we say it. well. It happened because she woke up early. Well, maybe she woke up early because she couldn't sleep because of the conversation she had with her right. son. Right. Well, the night exactly. Before. There's and like that's all what broke the routine. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You know, we can yeah. go back and back and back. Right. Right. A- absolutely. Uh, and like, it's easy to pick out the oh well, she woke up early and she had to spend an hour with herself. <laughs> and I honestly, when I when Ackerman describes it that way, I think she that betrays her not in time when she doesn't fully understand her character. Yeah. Because Ackerman clearly is not necessarily, at least at that time when she's talking about it, does not understand being this kind of person. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't 
I don't want to be so presumptuous as to believe that in one viewing, I understand this character better than Ackerman no, understood I, her in I, 1985. I right? understand so. that. Well, I mean, my point is just that, like, as a person who, like, it is fascinating whenever this is, a, this is very clearly applied to your sort of, like, housewife malaise kind of thing. But, like, yeah. the bad news is you don't have to be a housewife or or be, like, trapped in a sort of, like, societal role of that sort to be this kind of person and I am that kind of person <laughs> like and yeah. like the thing about it is like I can easily sympathize with the person that this is how they live their life like that I do these things at this time and it's all fine and it all works and I like un unmolested by by the universe I would live every day probably following a very very specific identical routine and any days where I am generally unmolested by the universe and ha and know that I'm going to be, I will do the exact same things at the exact same time on those days. I present yeah. to you my every Thursday. <laughs> when the kids go to school and I have, I work from home and I go through the exact same routine. And I've commented on this before because I, I commented on, like, on Twitter about this. Somebody, oh, this is a tangent and a half, but like, uh, uh, a Twitter, a person I've, I've, I'm a mutual with on Twitter was like, what, like, how, like, oh, I reached today, like, I, I forget the exact context, but they're like, oh, the, your local convenience store person, how well do you know them? I know mine as in, as well enough that they know my first name. I'm like, I know mine well enough that they call my wife and tell her what I bought today. <laughs> right, right, right. And right, that extends right. in other directions uh, because I walk into that convenience store on Thursday exactly the same time every day buy pretty yeah. much exactly the same stuff and leave and go home and then do, follow the exact same procedure at home once I'm at home. And the only thing that changes is sometimes they have not prepared the things I would like to buy. And I will tell you, <laughs> it fucks me up. They have sold out on the thing I want. And I'm like, well, the rest of this day is fucked. Right. If only if only the rest of the world was as clockwork on your Thursdays as, as you <laughs> as are. As I am. Yes, exactly. And so all of this is to just say that, like, I under, I'm not going to comment on whether – I don't – we cannot comment on whether Ackerman understands her character. I think at 20 – you know, whatever age she is in that first interview, I think whether or not she does or not, she doesn't want she to always, be that person. Right. She always has an understanding of who the character is. That understanding changes. That's that's what I mean when I talk right, about her right. understanding her character differently. Well, and and I think there's uh, a difference also though between understanding your character and being your character. Right. And right, like right, right. when somebody who is your character watches your character on screen, they have a slightly maybe different reaction to that character right, than, right, right. than you know, I wrote yeah. it, but other people and I, it. and I <laughs> like kind of thing. I think I think we get that disconnect in the conversations Ackerman has with Sirig about why the character is doing what they're right. doing in in that background in that in that behind the scenes documentary, right? And yeah, you know, it's obviously as a uh, white Midwestern American straight cishet man. In my thirties, I understand this character having seen the movie once. Very different to how Ackerman right, understands that character Absolutely. ever. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So, uh, so yeah, I'm not. 
No, yeah. I, I just yeah. want I just want to get away from any accusation that that we are claiming we, that we some know, sort know, of know, monopoly yeah, yeah, on totally. understanding Jean Dion. Absolutely. I, uh, I just where I think right. I was going, and it's been a while since we started down this line, was merely to say that, um, like that spiral is is a part of this kind of living, right? And that right, like right. you you go through it from time to time. And you, and it is just part of being this kind of person that you will sometimes spiral and you will need to like reset and rebuild the routine from the beginning to meet whatever new chaotic element has entered into right. this existence. And it sucks really bad. And it, it's very, it's just, I don't know, it's important, like, while it is extraordinary in the sense that we are watching, I guess, what you could call an extraordinary moment in her life, it's also not. It's also just part of being this kind of person. And right. she right. has probably been through it before. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it, there is, whether anybody who wants to believe it or not, right, like, she has not been able to maintain this routine for 30 fucking years. It's right. impossible. Something has broken it. And she had a child. And that child had certain needs at certain times that required a readjustment of that routine. And every time it was probably really shitty. Right. <laughs> you know what and I mean? She, it was probably she really had, bad. Her husband she died. had a husband. Right. She had a husband she no longer has. So something changed right. in that and routine it, and, too. And, right? and of course, those so, are much bigger things, right? Like your husband yeah. dies. Like that's more than just a reset of the routine because they, they stopped selling the thing you buy on Thursdays. Right. But, right, right. you know, you can imagine how big that reset is compared to the they stop selling the thing I want to buy like it's a my it's yeah. a bajillion times worse obviously there I've are, never had a spouse die thank god yeah there are there are conversations about this film that suggest uh that Jean Dielman has some sort of uh OCD or something right and and I I think she likes she is used to the routine right right um I think there are there are certain aspects of uh, what I think about with OCD where uh, she definitely doesn't right uh, exhibit that stuff like just just the mess she makes with with again right the yeah see I'm I'm always like, very hesitant right, like, but, with like yeah I don't want to you know clinical diagnoses she, of movie characters yeah. it's like right well right, right, I mean right. unless the person wrote it was a, like a certified and then, doctor and then the people who fight right. I, but also like i don't know Where, i don't know what ocd is at this point right Thanks right i also get that. a problem yeah i also get a problem where an interpretation like that suggests a reading of anyone with ocd as as if uh well, if you break their routine, they'll murder you. Right, but also uh, bear in that, mind, I, I really and that do feels real bad. I I do <laughs> not like that, and I agree. I also right. think it's really important that we stand. I will stand by my. <laughs> I will die on the hill. That 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 at some point we are talking about an emotional thing, not a physical. Right, thing. right, 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 right. Like right. Yeah. Do I feel like like you know what I mean? Like that. It's not you know she's really it's gotten really bad and she's really stressed out but like you know like again there are not like you are depraved upset angry housewives murdering people all over the countryside yeah. because they like screwed up their day you are you are suggesting then that you think 
that the actual murder aspect, at the very least, is a fantasy? No, no, is... I, no, 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 no. What I'm, I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say. It's like the movie is talking about, the movie's always talking about the emotional experience of this person, right? right. Uh, and it does so via real things that the person does as a part of, like, rendered realistically. Right. But at some point, it takes a turn towards the unreal. It is it is real. I, I, what I think we have to do is get away from the idea that like that's sort of like well I'm going to analyze well, Star Wars now okay. and I this so is what really happened in the movie and this is what didn't happen like right. yeah it happened in the movie but like none of the movie was real <laughs> like right. Gene Gelman doesn't exist it's, right of course it's the it's the difference between truth and reality right right and and the way we talk about truth and the different things we mean when we talk about truth her reaction her her committing of that murderous act is truth right but even within even within the narrative it may not be reality right and of course it's not reality because it's a movie right but, right exactly uh, right but that i mean within the we movie, don't need to even within <laughs> right. the movie that ackerman made she really murders somebody but in the okay. the truth of things is is more engaged with the emotions that this person is experiencing and the idea that like it's gotten so bad and she's gotten so fucked by, uh, by all this that like She's now like mentally killing people. Not like, right? Not even like, oh, like, not that scary version where people walk around like I'd kill him and him and him and or something like. But we're right, like, right, right, where you're so I don't know how to explain. It, like, you're so frustrated by the things that have fucked up your life yeah. that you wish you could erase them. <laughs> like it's like, right? I just want this to not be here anymore. I just it needs to just be gone. I don't want it to be a. And if that's a person. That is a kind of killing, almost. And that's, I'm not even articulating myself very well. She's just very, very, very unhappy with right. how things have gone. Yeah, and not just with how things have gone since things started to unravel. Right, right. Just looking back, very, very unhappy with how things have gone, Right. period, across her life. Um. Yeah, no, I think that makes... That makes sense. I, I just I wanted to to get you talking about it a little more, to, right? To try to articulate right. it, exactly what you're saying. It's very hard to articulate. It's more that like the fact that like Ackerman found a very, very, very good way to express to an audience, both a very good way and a very problematic way to express to the audience that somebody has reached a sort of breaking point in their right. existence. And, and a, a murder is a really good one because that is a very shocking murder. Me and Rumi watched right. it four times. Yeah. Because yeah. Rumi, I was like doing dishes and, you know, like, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm doing dishes watching this movie and I'm like, did she just murder him? And then Rumi's like, did she just murder him? And we're like, <laughs> I don't know because it's also really fairly, it is weirdly enough, fairly subtle. And right. we didn't, right. we didn't wait for it to progress to the next scene. Because, like, next scene you get enough sort of extra information that you can determine yeah. that, yes. But, like, so we we rewound it, watched it, like, four times. Because it just comes out of fucking nowhere. It really well, does. But the thing is, it comes out of fucking nowhere in the, in the context of the way the movie moves. But in the story of the movie, it doesn't come out of nowhere. Like, it, we're building I think... to this. It's, it's a dramatic point. But this woman right. is clearly having a harder and harder time. Moment by moment. I think that a person's life unraveling and that punctuation of violence 
And here it actually isn't a period. With no. blow up with blow up my town, it's a period. Right. Uh with with Pierre Lefau. Pierre Lefau, it's a period. Right. right. Here here it's a semicolon at best. Uh and then we get that ten minute uh <laughs> ending right, of right, her right. So of her sitting in the living room. And that's the thing, uh, right? Oh sorry, go ahead, sorry. But I but I just think that given how influential Pierre Lefau was on her life, uh, it is interesting that she ends it in a similar way of that punctuation of violence, even even though she does do different things with that violence, certainly even in how it's portrayed and how it isn't the end of the movie. Right. Um, but yeah, anyway. Well, yeah, I, and I think I think it's really important to engage with the idea that the movie doesn't end there because, again, if we stop reading the events, especially in that last 10 minutes as, like, textually what physically happens in the world or something like that, because, again, it's it's all kind of whatever, right? It's a, it's fantasy anyway. Yeah. Um, then, like, that kind of snapping is just, uh, unless you die in it, which you don't, generally speaking, unless things have gotten very, very, very bad. Right. Like, it is just a semicolon or a comma, and then the world just keeps rolling out. Like, time just keeps moving forward, and sometimes you're just sitting at your sort of emotional kitchen table for ten fucking minutes. And that's actually Sirig's main contention in that scene in the documentary. In talking about, she says repeatedly, as an actress... I don't understand where the character goes from here. Right. What happens next? What, why, not just why does the murder happen? Does he give a look? Is it just that he refuses to leave? But also, what happens next? Right. even, Even knowing that the end of the movie is coming and the narrative isn't necessarily the character is still going to be concerned with what happens next. Right. Right. And that's where, that's where Sirik's contention is. Um, to a point where I wouldn't be surprised given, given that, uh, Ackerman is known to have written out and gotten the grant to make this movie based on a script she did not use. Uh, she, she threw out that script. It had similar ideas, it seems, but she threw out that script and we can see in that documentary of her sitting with Sirig that they are reworking how things are going. We'll drop this bit. We'll add this bit. At one point, they're they're sitting in the dining room, uh, and uh, and Sirig's looking at the script, and something's been crossed out. She says, "Oh, we're not doing that anymore." And they have a conversation about what they are doing, and then and then uh, Ackerman says, "Oh, can you?" <laughs> We will need to do that. Can you can you uncross that out for me in the script? Right. Yeah, they're making notes right. on the shooting script. So so there is a chance that in that documentary section of while they're having that conversation about what happens next, that there wasn't that final ten minutes of It's definitely possible, yeah. In the dark, right? Um and that's a it's a fascinating thing to have happen next. Right. Right. Because right. it is just her she has been so uncomfortable left by herself and just sitting doing nothing throughout the right. film that her sort of decompressing from what's just happened with a blood-stained shirt 
sitting in the dark with that neon flashing light that's been coming through that window right. the entire movie uh that would drive me insane yeah anybody uh, i think yeah i lived in front uh, of a building like that for about two years two and a half years when i first moved yeah. to this country i lived across the street from a pachinko parlor that blasted light into my windows <laughs> all night uh, until like three o'clock uh, every night yeah i bought i bought um, very heavy curtains yeah, yeah, that's the solution there. I don't understand how the kid can sleep in that room. I would, I would just be awake all yeah. night with that flashing light. Uh, yeah, uh, even at its regular rhythm, I would not get used to it. Uh, but yeah, that's. It's just you know she. Sirig has that problem understanding the character's motivation for the murder because she can't see where the character would go from there and what would happen in their life. And obviously we are left with those same questions of, right. of what could possibly happen next. Her son is going to be home. Right. Uh, and, 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 yeah. And given, given the nature of her son, his biggest concern is going to be that dinner's not ready. Not that before right. he ever notices there's a dead body in his mom's room. Right. But, I mean, I don't, uh, we don't, I'm yeah. guessing he never, he never sees his mother's room. This would be my, would be, would be my right, guess. Right. 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 Uh, or at least not like in a way that he doesn't see his mother's room. He's not supposed to see his mother's room. I'm sure. But like, yeah, like, but at the same time, right, like, that gets into a really fascinating point because, and again, I I'm I made a supposition about the way I'm reading this movie, way especially the way I choose to read the ending of this movie. And that's my reading of it. And there's right. it's very valid for Siri to be like, well, wait a minute. Like, if this is all real, this is a very unreal thing to happen. What the fuck happens next when a very unreal thing happens? Right. What is what like, and like not understanding. Partic- if you're trying to read this movie as 100 percent real all the way from beginning to end, that that scene that just makes no fucking sense. Like that scene right. doesn't make, her her actions don't really make any sense. Um, her like it 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 would be for somebody for Siri as the actress doing this, that would be feel very very I'm sure extremely difficult to deal with. Your yeah. character just does something totally out of left field that doesn't make any sense after you've spent the entirety of the movie like timing out your actions so that you can be hyper hyper real to this person's behavior right and then be like and then you murder this person like it's so out of nowhere right right i'm really thinking now about the uh the psychological profile of the person who picked our criterion list for the last like six weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Since, since last year at Marion bad, our last time that we saw Sirig, we've had my dinner with Andre, the human condition, two movies from Goddard about Goddard's marriage falling apart, including two or three things I know about her, which is very similar to this. Then right, yes, yeah. Roman Polanski's repulsion, which is another movie about a woman, uh, committing a violent act. Uh, in the end, and then this, uh, and there is there is a string through all of those, yes, right? There There's a thread, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> that that is very fascinating. Uh, just because this has this, I was thinking, you know, we had our holiday episode sort of breaking this up right. over the last week, uh, but just a lot of this movie is 
two or three things meets repulsion, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, yeah, yes, and it, it, obviously, sort of like on the very the top ca- layer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. The character in Repulsion had very different motivations for uh, and a very different life to right. the character here. As as does the the character in female lead of two or three things. Yeah, I would say that um, if you were to like, it's almost more of like a they. If you were to take their Wikipedia plot blurbs, bl- <laughs> right, throw them right, in a right, blender right, together, right. you would get you could end up with something very similar to this. Yeah, I think I think both. Well, Made in USA, two or three things, and Repulsion are all uh, mid sixties men making something that is vaguely feminist but don't really understand what right, feminist is yeah. in 1965 1967 and, and, uh, and maybe don't want to know like, and, and don't want to know ackerman's got got you know another eight years from from two or three things to of of time marching forward you know we're we're solidly in the mid 70s instead of the late 60s it is politically a very different time it yeah, really absolutely. is uh and she also has a and and like the the real problem we're running into is that <laughs> the real problem we're running into honestly if we're being serious here <laughs> is that Cartier has almost never presented us with I think has presented us with one whole example of a a woman filmmaker trying to engage with any subject that might be remotely considered feminist. We that's just in the sixties. It's just not a thing that we get to watch. And so we almost don't have a touchstone to, to, to reflect Ackerman. On, you know what I mean? Like we have so no, many dudes. We just have so right. many dudes and like so few, so few women that it's like kind of hard because like, yeah, we can absolutely compare Ackerman against those guys, but like that's literally apples and oranges basically. Right. Yeah, and we we talked about this in, during the two or three things episode, you know, but we don't get that stuff during the '60s because of the film industry, right? They're, right. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. There aren't totally. women. I mean, the the amount of women making films, period, I, like, you know in what? the '60s I, I is so much lower. Somewhere out there, there's got to be a few, right? Well, we just of course, have to exist. Well, but. Cleo, Cleo from seven to nine is one of them. I, right? I know. You know that, are, that's why I was very are. specific in saying right. that not. Right. We've seen very little, not nothing. Right. 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 And right. and so you're. But the problem is we end up. We end up. You and I end up with, with one fucking other touchstone essentially. <laughs> right. And 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 if they are reflective of their era, which I'm not saying that they are. Yeah. If we were to compare Varda at that time versus Ackerman at this time. You if and to say like okay well this is this is indicative of a progress and a change in the way feminism understands things, which again is a very dubious claim, <laughs> like all the way across the board. Uh, there's there is a very clear difference between when you listen to Varda talk contemporaneously with her work and Ackerman contemporaneously with her work. They are of course different people, right? Neither of them has explicitly stated that their goal was to make a piece of feminist art <laughs> like you know what i mean there's a, there's a, a huge stack of dubious shit that you'd have to stack up to even do that right, comparison right, right right but they are very like I, I would say that ackerman seems very much in that interview in the 70s of her time like yeah. a, a sort of a, a different understanding like 
things have progressed and like already the roles of women in society have been changing you know over time and and some things have been changing and some things have absolutely not been changing at all right like right uh it's just yeah i don't know again we have so little to work with yeah yeah i think about you know before so we watched cleo was our first varda and it was spine number 73 right and before that there had been one female director period right in the collection, as they had shown us. And it was 1974, uh, Liliana Cavani, The Night Porter, a movie that, particularly at the time, we both hated. Right. Night Porter's one that maybe we could revisit and definitely it have a different conversation does to the one. It probably revisit if, right. if, if, right. among movies that do deserve revisits. Yeah. But, yeah. It is, not, it is not one I have mentally really revisited as much as, say, something like Sallow, you know, is a well, movie that, that I initially true. hated. I that, think my problem that with... definitely was something I had to think about again and again and again. I mean, Sallow, I've, I've thought about, I have not escaped the the shadow of Sallow in how many years? Like, yeah, right. I still think about it from time Nine. to time. The Night Porter, I think about various, like, very specific scenes of the Night Porter from time to time, but I think I kind of don't remember it as well as I remember Solo, and it's probably part yeah. of the problem. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but yeah, just thinking, you know, that's a, that's another movie from uh, a female director from the se- mid-70s, you know, came out the year before this. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't remember it enough to, to make accurate comparisons, but that is to, to just cement your point that yeah. Criterion has not shown us a lot of this sort of movie. Uh, or a lot of movies from well, does have, just hasn't lady directors, us, period. Right, has not provided uh, us with enough data of the time to really right. any to form any meaningful like thought or argument about like the nature <laughs> right. of filmmaking for for women for like female filmmakers in the seventies or like nothing. We got nothing, man. Yeah, nothing yeah. to fucking really work don't. with here. It's true. It's true. And it's it's so it's so interesting given uh you know how much how much of certain types of cinema we have seen yeah. way more of than yeah. someone even taking a uh a particular course in French neorealism right, right. <laughs> would have seen fewer fewer French films than we've seen. Yeah, I mean right? we've seen uh, so much of, that, of certain kinds of film. Right, yeah. Right, right. Uh, so, you know, it's just, and, and, what, what, not to get off point, but what makes it so funny is it's, it's like taking a film class where like the, the fucking teacher got hit in the head by a, by a cartoon anvil <laughs> and then like tried to form their syllabus while, while mentally injured and like just do random films they like in, in random orders. Like, well, we're going to watch all when of these I, movies and we're not going to contextualize them or provide any sort of meaningful through line between them. Right, right. Except right, for maybe right, occasionally right. you'll get a little bit conspiracy minded and think that maybe there's a through line for a few of them. And maybe there is. Yeah. Which, you know, is what I've just done. Well, no, I know, but like that is. On, but for real, right. like sometimes you're like, wait a minute, there's a pattern here. What the fuck is happening? And you're like, am I, right. am I imagining things or is this real? Um, but like yeah, they but despite our syllabus being just a jumbled mess, we've we've seen a lot. Right. But there's certain things we have seen none of. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and that doesn't just. Ing- I mean, I guess female filmmakers 
is a really easy one to spot because it's like, well, you've just eliminated fully 50% of the population of the world. Um, yeah. But like, it's not, it's certainly not the only omission, is it? Right, right, right. <laughs> the right. Bo- not the and only it, glaring omission. And again, it's, you know, the nature of uh, the industry and the right. nature of the fact that you had to have money in order to get right, into the right. industry for for the majority of history. Uh and that starts to break, and you know, well, there's Varda certain... does not Varda does not come from money. It well, does not seem, and Varda also made right. m- movies for like pennies, <laughs> right. but uh, yeah, and apparently so did uh, so did um, uh, Ackerman. It seems like in general, right. like these right. are not expensive movies. She even describes in one of the interviews as costing basically nothing. Uh, but uh, the only reason I bring that that that's interesting about that is that. Um, I think there's a there's an entire fucking paper to be written about. I am sure now I'm not the one to write it, but uh, about like the way this got paid for was a grant from the Belgian like right arts whatever de- right. department or whatever, which is not the way movies are usually funded. <laughs> yeah, certainly not the most some of the most famous movies you'll ever watch. You know what I mean? Like I don't yeah. know. It's a, that's just a funny thing because there's 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 meaning in that. The fact that like it's a government initiative to get this movie made essentially. Right. Rather than and, some rando rich asshole showing up and handing out money wads of cash left and right, which is the way normal that, movies are made. Yeah. Uh there is there's a political discussion to be had about the fact that uh some of our favorite art is made because the government decided to spend money on art yeah, instead of absolutely. on uh, war for a minute. Uh, well, and, know, then, and even then down, yeah. even down to mundane things like like Carl Reiner got into comedy because he took a comedic right, acting yeah. class yeah, paid right, for right, by yeah. the U.S. government yeah. uh, during the Depression. Like, it's well, I mean, there's you know, a lot of it. crazy. And then, but then you also like the the fun game you get to play is like the comparison between that and the fact that like most of the movies you've ever watched in your life are because some rich assholes wander around handing out wads right, of cash, right, 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 to make things yeah. that'll make him happy, basically. Yeah, Ackerman's family almost certainly was not. No, yeah, uh, no. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, she says it, money. and I don't. I'm. It might be somewhere in yeah. the actual. Um, wikipedia but well, like, her she's like it's a grant it was a grant right like it was just a grant yeah. or whatever this money the money for this film was from a grant right her family her mom was an Auschwitz survivor yeah no no like, i yeah i was gonna i was uh, not really yeah. i didn't i was trying to not necessarily delve in i mean she does right. discuss it in yeah. one of, in some of the interviews right but like right. the like you can see there's a lot of trauma in the way she has to talk about her family history right and like it's interesting because, like, she also talks very, very briefly, and I would love to know more. I wish there was a longer interview I could watch, and maybe there is one out there, about how that plays into her understanding and the way she wrote, uh, uh, you know, men. Like, is, like, she talks about it, like, one kind of ritual replacing another kind of ritual, and a lot of really interesting stuff that like none of the interviews give nearly enough screen time to like it's there right. it's just offhanded comment it's like this this is this is a book there's there's a book's worth of information in here and we're getting like two minutes and it's kind of driving me insane because i want to know more about but about how right. these are all interrelated in her mind 
uh, because I feel like that's really significant. But um, yeah, certainly there's not a lot of there's not she didn't she didn't like self fund. I mean, she may have to a certain extent self funded this, but it's not like it's not random weirdo rich dude self funding. Right. <laughs> like you know what I mean? Right, like right, right, like right. oh well you know I just had a couple. I used my third mansion as my shooting location for <laughs> yes, this film after yes. I paid like some some D-list actor to appear in my movie because right. they couldn't say no to a paycheck because they had tax trouble <laughs> yeah. or something. The, you know, the way that those kinds of movies are made. It is such an engaging movie, which is maybe surprising for what it is. shocking right? how engaging because the, the description, yeah. a, a cover letter description of this movie is reads like a nightmare <laughs> it's like yeah. you're gonna it's three and a half hours nearly nothing will happen for most of that three and a half hours i barely was barely any talking uh hyper engaged yeah. with this movie i watched right. it so hard like yeah and i it was it it is it is weirdly it is a baffling movie in that way and it is so fucking good it is so like everything about it, the way it's shot, everything is so perfect. I, I really admire in the in the um, one of the interviews, Ackerman was talking about like oh like we couldn't blow out the wall because it's just a random apartment. Right. Like no, you can't do that. So we couldn't pull the camera back in the kitchen. So we ended up redoing it in the studio, and then we ended up not using anything we redid in the studio because it just didn't have the right feel. And, like, that speaks volumes about what this movie is, right? Because the studio couldn't couldn't replicate how real, how really in this shitty apartment you are. Right, right. Like, how really in this shitty apartment and how really all the cameras and all the, the actor and everybody else is crammed into this tiny-ass apartment. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's fucking super engrossing. And it's, and again and I don't and, and I'm not not trying to take like, but like and then watching what happens after like at, on day two, I don't know. It's so easy to to feel that feeling of like, oh no, like this thing's not working the way it's supposed to. This thing's not working. Like I'm, I'm fucking burning potatoes and shit, and it's like uh, like you have like every I, everybody has to have those days. I know they do. But they're just, it's so visceral that like well, those days where you're like, oh, fuck it, like why now, this now? Like what the fuck, man? What now yeah. this? Like, I, I, uh. <laughs> right, right. That feeling is yeah. so fucking hard and like so beautifully captured. And it's like the her looks on her face when those things happen is just so fucking real. Yeah, yeah. No, that's what is so great about this movie is that you know we've seen so many movies particularly from male directors that are ultimately about the alienation of capitalism but this is the alienation of domestic work too right right of of the unspoken unpaid uh uh work that makes capitalism function right uh right uh you know and she's just she's just as alienated within this work um and she's she's cut off you know she's compartmentalized she's in this apartment building uh, literally compartmentalized, but uh, you know she has 
cursory, uh, surface level conversations with everyone she encounters in her life, except for her son. Right. Right. Well, uh, even then, her conversations with her son are right. Right. Almost are shut up. Yeah. Are shut up, you idiot. Usually, but <laughs> much more politely than that. But, 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 like you know, the first time we see her talking to someone outside of her apartment is the woman she runs into during the first the day two, the first set of uh, of errands. And it's just, uh, oh, we need to get together conversation, right? Right. In the middle of the street as they're both running other directions. Yeah. Well, the and... thing is, is I think she asks, like, are you going to go to this coffee shop, right? And she says mm-hmm. no. And she goes to the coffee. She is at that. Right, I'm right 99% there. that's the same coffee shop. And yeah, I was like, almost, yeah, almost, okay. No doubt. That reads. I do that. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> that's a thing. Yeah. No, I'm not um, going to be there. I'm there. Right. Right. Uh. Well, because you don't want to be there with someone. exactly. You wanna, I, no, right. I'm not going to be there because yeah. I do not want to like have. I don't want you to come along. Yeah. Right? Is that is that the first break? Does she go to the coffee uh, shop it, it purposely could, late day that day because be she doesn't want to have be, a conversation with that someone? It, it literally uh, could be anything because anything anything can be that right. Anything can be the break, right? Um, you know she. The conversation with the unseen mother of the baby she is watching, which is uh, which is Ackerman off screen. Uh, not that that's super relevant, but it is. Um, you know that one, and that one's mostly again Jean trying to get out of the conversation, sort of nodding and answering questions as quickly as possible until she God, stops talking. I feel so. I feel. Ugh. Gene. But the other woman so starved for a connection yeah. that isn't her family and kids wanting to dive into that conversation. It's just the proto uh, version of Jean. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. You know. And then all of all of her other conversations are with clerks. Yeah. Or with store people. Yeah. Store owners, you know. Uh or are consumer transactions. Yeah. Uh and it's absolutely the alienation of capitalism. Right, too. it is. And it's important to understand that these are all the same thing, right? Like we talked about, was yeah. it, what movie was it? Was it, was it two or three things? No, was it? It, it, it was, right? Where like we're talking about, it, it, to a certain extent, like the, yeah, yeah, it was two or three things. Like how the capitalism specifically, can, their efforts there were specifically constructing these hyper-isolating, like sort of nightmare right. capitalist constructs, right? Like, Right, like right. she's living in one, not that one, but a thing like that. We're like, oh yeah, well, we all have these individual apartments that like sort of necessitate our lives not actually crossing paths in a meaningful way. There are no commons. There are no. The only commons are capital, like interaction right. places. Right. Like, oh, where do you go? You go to the coffee shop. You know, the place where you have to pay money to just participate. Sit. And right. and then and like it's still hyper encouraged to not actually interact with each other in this location, like right. it's it's, I mean they're all they're and, it's all interconnected. And how know. how resentful she is when she goes to the coffee shop and someone's in her regular seat. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, yeah. yeah, and 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 it's all like that's all part of the same structure, right? It's just that we don't get to see this side of that structure very often in the right. movies we watch because. Very rarely is this part of that structure a thing that our filmmakers want to engage with. That, like, 
the dude who goes to work every day in the office is not the only alienated member of this right. capitalist nightmare right. society. Like, there's lots and lots of people who are alienated in slightly different ways all the time. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, that is just another aspect of this film that is a breath of fresh air from other mm-hmm. films we've seen. Absolutely. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so in in doing some research on this movie, I ended up uh, punching in the title into Twitter. Oh, dear God. Uh, I don't search. You told me the results of some of this, and I, I kind of don't understand what the fuck's wrong with you. Uh, yeah, I, sh- I never. <laughs> it was a uh, terrible mistake to to, it to was engage in any way with what Twitter thinks about any movie. Yeah. So apparently, apparently, a couple days ago, someone uh, on film Twitter or film Twitter got a hold of it. Someone wrote something. I don't know who it was. I don't know where it was published. I don't care <laughs> because someone was talking about uh, a girl walks home alone. And how it barely passes the Betchel test. And then there are a whole bunch of people responding with sarcasm or jokes, uh, varying degrees of, of seriousness of, of, oh, I guess I'll have to th- throw out Gene Delman for not, not being a feminist film because it doesn't pass the Betchel test. Uh, which is weird because it does pass the Betchel test. Yeah, like, I don't know what they're talking When you described that to me, I was like, what are they talking about? Like, like, like we, okay. We, she never has. Well, never. Never mind the fact that okay. she essentially has no conversations with anybody. But right. right. Okay. Uh, Nonetheless, the Betchel test at his heart. Yes. Uh, more than one woman. They have a conversation. It's not about a man. Um, that's are, the, that's the, the textual version. There is a spirit. Those are the to textual well. version. <laughs> There's a spirit to it about the the women having to be made named. Uh, and if. If the women have to be named, then no, this doesn't pass. Uh, the conversation isn't about a man. To talk about this is to have an argument against uh, of, of what the Betchel test is spiritually, right? Because right. is the conversation about uh, two women, is the conversation two women have where one is just desperate to relate to anyone. So she starts talking about what she's making for dinner and how she accidentally bought really expensive veal cutlets and her husband or her kids don't like them and her husband's uh uh doesn't have any taste um is that a conversation about a man is a conversation with a store clerk about finding the right button when you need the button or the right yarn when you need the yarn to make a uh a uh sweater for your son or to replace the button on your son's coat is that a conversation about a man is that, or is that a conversation? But even, even still, she has conversations with people like that woman she meets in the street, where where they are not conversations about a man or even with the shadow of a man. Right, right. In the conversation. Right, and and I think I think the I think there's always a sort of a problem with people reading right. these kind of philosophical, yeah, methods too and, literally. But yeah, right, like, right, right. And the Betro test was never meant as an actual exactly. Uh, in a vacuum tool of film criticism. Right. So it's all very silly. And I only bring it up to, to say film Twitter, you're dumb. Stop. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, 
But I did I did write a after the first hour of this movie I did write in my notes should I make a joke about this movie failing the Betchel test and then <laughs> and then I did that Twitter search and it's like absolutely I should not make that joke right, one right. because I finished the movie now and I know it doesn't and two because. Uh, the people who make that joke are assholes, and I don't want. Right, I don't want to yeah. be that. It's just, it's like one of the. It is, it is fascinating though that like, I am fascinated by that. Not to go too long on that, but like I'm just fascinated yeah. by that 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 way of of engaging with media in a way where you're like, well, I'm gonna like treat like this sort of philosophical sort of I don't know like way of sort of evaluating things as like a literal physical test that I can run like the way you run tests in chemistry class or something. It's like, wow. Right, 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 right. It's like, no, I mean, like, come on, people. But like, you know, this is, like, her son might as well be a non-entity in this movie anyway. There are literally no men in this movie, basically. There There are the shadows that men leave on the wall as they sort of have have left or passed right. by or in some way but like th- we we do literally see each of her johns that is yeah. a thing that happens but well I, yeah. I yeah what i mean is that they they are sort of shadows on her life they don't really right. have any it, meaning to her in any significant right. way her son does course, but she's also sort of yeah. in many ways it seems like divorced herself from her son in many ways she she no longer yeah. engages with him on any really meaningfully emotional way um, right, and any any conversation she has with her Johns, though though anything that happens there is whispered and meaningless. It is right. also a uh, a consumer <laughs> consumer right, right, oriented exactly, conversation, right, right, like yeah. like any conversation we see her have with any store clerk. Right, uh, it's just the other end of it. Um, so you know, uh, t- you know, we could get back into. Goddard's everything is prostitution from <laughs> two or three things right. if we wanted, but right. uh, I, I, otherwise known as <laughs> I, I should probably actually read some some literature before <laughs> I talk about things so that I can use the right uh, words. <laughs> I didn't actually say this during the two or three things episode, but I did write it in the in the post write up for it. Uh, either read theory or at least at least get a friend who's read theory. Well, well, exactly uh, right. <laughs> yeah, or or just like you know. Like, I mean, he didn't have the benefit of Wikipedia, but like plenty of like right, right, smaller right, right. synopses of like the main takeaways yeah, of things. You exist. don't actually, you don't believe right. it or not, you don't have to read Marx because that shit's long as hell. <laughs> and there, and a lot of later synopses and analyses will give you more and better insight into what's being talked right, about than right, 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 actually right, reading right. the original text. That's true of a lot of texts in this world. Right. That a lot of right. times the analysis and synopses will give you more information than the thing itself. Not that no, not that anybody needs that tip. It's a, I need that tip, always. Uh, I'll allow. <laughs> nobody, it. I'll nobody, allow nobody it. needs me to tell them that thing, but it is, it is nonetheless yeah. true. Um, no, I, I, yeah, I, um, this, um, yeah, this movie, man. I, I, I really, I'm, I don't know that. I, I say I don't know if I, I, I was like gonna in the mindset of like I don't know if I would watch it again. It's because the, the only thing that would ever stop you is it's just so long. Because <laughs> yeah. you can even see, like, in one of the interviews, Ackerman was dealing with that, too, because, like, people were getting up and leaving and, like, walking out and walking in. And, like, she was kind of panicking, right? It seems like in one of those interviews she was talking about 
I was kind of causing like, oh, they fucking hate it. Like they can't stand it. And then like right. afterwards, like twenty people were like, "Can I have this for my film? Can I buy this for my film festival? Like, can I can I show this at my film festival?" Right. It's like, yeah, people love this. Is a great movie. Like it is three and a half hours long. So like people are gonna go pee. Like that's a thing. Yeah, you're gonna well, you're gonna hit the pause button because eventually something's going to give. Uh, the movie itself and the way it's shot encourages you to leave for a second, right? Right, right, because absolutely. The, you can zone the camera out for stationary. chunks of time, yeah. But, but even even the actions of the character, she leaves the screen. So why shouldn't I leave yeah, the right. screen? Yeah, right. Like, she <laughs> goes to the bathroom, extent. clearly. <laughs> right, um, right, right. One of my favorite things that happened the entire time I was watching this movie is I have, I watch this on a, one of those fire TV things, and I watch most of our movies on that while I do the dishes. Yeah. And I had to move TVs. Because uh, I needed to start doing the dishes, and I had been watching it somewhere else, and I and I those things are kind of shitty, and like have all kinds of trouble playing movies, but I have one, and they're cheap, and uh, I but they especially the Criterion Channel fucking player has issues, and yeah. I started it, and it was the scene I forget exactly where it is, but it's one of the scenes where. It's after she starts to sort of break down a little bit, and she's sitting at the table for, like, a full minute doing nothing. Like, as in physically not moving. And I could not figure out if the play button wasn't working or she was sitting still. I thought the play button wasn't working. I was like, what the fuck, man? I hit play. I, I don't, I'm not getting – and the, those things are just shitty enough that they're kind of a little unresponsive. So if you, like, hit the buttons, they take a while to, like, react sometimes. And so right. it's like – I can't. And then very subtly, I noticed her like twitch her arm. And I'm like, oh shit, it's just been played right. the whole time. Right, right. There were, She's there been were sitting still for movie. a minute. And it, and, <laughs> and I, I, I couldn't tell. Yes, you are encouraged I have, to leave. I had that same experience and I did not have those technical uh, issues. Well, you know, I never switched machines. Right. Uh, but there were still times where I thought, did the, did the movie freeze? Is that right? Uh, yeah, it, it's really. I mean, it definitely encourages you to to feel that way, and and you know that's part of the joy of it in its own way too, right? Is that like you this it this movie was borderline designed for people who do their dishes while they watch their right. movie because you I'm I'm in many ways undergoing an action that feels like I'm engaged with the film physically, like. She's on right. screen this is, cooking dinner. I'm literally watching her movie while doing dishes, a thing that is a hyper part of my daily routine. Yeah, this is the first time you've ever described watching a movie while doing the dishes where I don't feel like I need to edit that out. <laughs> because just leave it in. Like, I pay very close attention to the movie. It's right, why right. it takes me three I, and a half hours to do my dishes. Yeah. Uh, I know. <laughs> I know that that is how you actually engage with these movies. But... Uh, I feel I have feel compelled in the past to edit out commentary like that because it makes it seem like I don't, think yeah. it it makes it seem like you're not engaging with the movie. I know you are, uh, Did, and 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 here you're engaging with it more right, like, right, right, by like, by I'm, doing this domestic work while watching I, this movie. I'm I'm right? living the genre uh, like yeah the like. Like her experience, the like the, the ride at Universal Studios, right, 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 right. right John right. Newman, like the experience now in now in 4D, like oh, smellovision. Um, 
is that a Simpsons joke, Jean Dillman the Ride? That seems like it. It, it could. Has it to could be. I mean, like uh, the, the Simpsons operates but, in a similar capacity as the Criterion Collection at this point. Is that yes, I can definitively probably. tell you it is because all jokes have been made. Um, because it because it either is or it will have been. Yeah. So, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You s- skip far enough into the future. Um, one of the things I just to tell you a thing unrelated but related to me doing dishes is. I this is not me when we were doing the podcast movies. I only ever did this with um, like TV shows I would watch. I used to live in a me and Rumi and John when he was very little used to live in an apartment. Uh, it was very cramped, but we did it. And at the time, okay, uh, part of the reason why my house is constructed the way it is is to alleviate this problem. I used to watch TV shows in a window that was sat catty corner to our TV while I did dishes. So the TV would bounce off the window, which I could watch through the t- and because I did dishes at night, it was perfect. It was a nearly yeah. perfect recreation of the screen. I would watch TV in the window that was across from where I did dishes, but I couldn't actually see the TV itself. And I would do dishes every night watching TV through a window, like there a reflection go. on a window. And I specifically built this house in such a way that I could watch TV while doing dishes without <laughs> having to use any sort of weird, re- like, reflectory tricks. There you go. It's just, just the thing. I, I never watched a Criterion movie that way. I was always very careful to, like, actually go sit at the couch and watch those movies at that time. Well, uh, when you were living in the apartment... Uh, no, no, we were recording we, this. We started it while we, I was in the We apartment. were recording yeah. this, but, but the... The way the way we were engaging for the podcast also was not uh, nearly the same. Yeah, that's also true. It, yeah. yeah. But I did watch yeah. Solo in so. that apartment with my children, uh, with with <laughs> John and Rumi asleep upstairs, and kind of afraid that they would walk downstairs and see what was happening. <laughs> I, I li- that was uh, a very scary night. Uh, yeah, was, good times. And good boy, times. I was in a bad space when I went to bed that night. I was fucked. Oh, up. I'm sure. I I'm kind sure. of in a daze, like crawled up the stairs and just I don't even know if I changed my clothes before I passed out. Yeah. Um, they were also okay. watching three movies a night at the time. Or that three is, movies that a, is a week. It was three brutal. movies a week. Yeah. And well, I was getting every, my masters. Every, three movies every other week while true, you were getting true. your masters. All right. It was uh, rough. <laughs> But yeah, it was rough. Uh, anyway, getting back to John. Yeah, Dillman. sorry, totally, um, totally. All these non well, no, have nothing this is, to do with anything. This is it. Not not entirely. This is our first episode of uh, January 2022. This is essentially our ninth anniversary episode. So I guess we can we can talk about that stuff yeah. too. Uh, but uh, you know, the the history of the podcast is is its own thing. Uh, getting back to Gene Delman, yeah, though. Sorry. Yes, but um, we should get back to this movie. <laughs> There are there are more small details that I think are interesting that that are just probably like cultural things, but like her house slippers have heels is very very weird to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I I still will occasionally encounter house slippers with heels in my real life. Uh, okay, it is a style. Um, I I find the entire universe of house slippers a nightmare world. Uh, I'm not saying people shouldn't wear them. I I have a pair and I do wear them. Uh, yeah. But boy, that there's there's so much going on in house slippers. Yeah. Um, the only ones we could John uh, Dylan wanted some, and the only ones we could find had a giant Pikachu the size of a basketball on it. <laughs> 
for a, for a six year old, and for Ruby was like, "We're not no." Comes comes up to his thigh. Yeah, basically, uh, it's like yeah. like it's like oh, we have beautiful. a dog, and we're just trying to imagine like what would happen here. It's like yeah. our child's gonna be dragged away to another room by a dog <laughs> that's confused about what's happening here. Uh beautiful, beautiful. Uh yeah. Uh, another small details that I absolutely this one less small really. Uh, the entire sequence of her trying to figure out what to do with the burned potatoes is just comedic gold. It oh really yeah, no, is. It, uh, right, absolutely. Yeah, she 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 takes them to the bathroom for a second, not knowing. Not like, is she gonna? She she seems like she's about to dump it in in the bathtub, which seems like the worst idea. Yeah, no. Uh, I I I definitely get the impulse to be like, maybe the toilet. Yeah, like yeah. I, I toilet poop would, in there. Toilet would toilet would maybe make sense, but she really seems to be going the for the bathtub. the bathtub. Yeah, I uh, don't know. I maybe she was yeah. gonna like clean them off. I don't know. Uh, throwing man. it, throwing it off the balcony would have made sense. Uh, I mean, obviously her her final decision. Yeah, her final decision. <laughs> it is boiling water. I suppose I didn't think about that. Uh, her final decision to to dump it. Uh, well, if the potatoes are burnt, then it's probably because the water's boiled uh, boiled away. So right, there's right. no burning I, water. What you're I just mean, throwing, though, is throwing like, burnt potatoes at people. Yeah, I mean, I uh, still feel like that could get yeah. you in trouble if you're just chucking right. food stuff off your balcony. Uh. uh well, presumably the balcony is like a back alley space. I, so I mean, I don't know. It's maybe. got a neon sign coming through it, so it could just well, be like the neon flashing light does not go into the dining room, or that's doesn't true. go into the kitchen. It goes into the dining room. I, so I, don't, I don't know don't... how the construction of the house relates to the construction there of the is, building. Right. We have a right, lot. Of, we right, have very right. little information there. Yeah, uh, I have a general idea, but uh, it would seem like the window that faces out of the dining room would have to be in the same direction as the. Uh, as the kitchen balcony in any case right uh her ultimate decision to pour it through the strainer and then bin the bin the stuff from the strainer is the right uh, decision uh, it's the right decision but the fact that that takes like hey, a minute we, and a half of her running around there. the house is this very movie good. is so yeah. hyper relatable oh absolutely in the absolutely. comedy of like the, yeah. of the of the mundane like everybody yeah. has like had that moment like well, what the fuck do i do with this like does it do i throw right. this and just I can't. It's full of water. Right. Like, what do I? Oh. I can't. Can't just dump it in the garbage first off because it's full of water. Right. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. And just you know, the subtle shame of having it oh, having yeah. it happen. Like you don't. She doesn't want her son to know. Not even. Not even because her son's a misogynistic ass. But right. but also, uh, you know. I make a I make a cooking mistake. I'm ashamed by that cooking mistake. Right, so. right. It, it almost doesn't matter if there's any observers, really. Right. You, you right, say to yourself right. like, "How did I let this happen?" Yeah. Heck, I do something like that. I'm so ashamed about it. I'm going to tell people about it so that I can feel shame. Right, right, right. Yeah, totally. Well, but that that may be a function of being Midwesterners too. We, you and right, I, may right, be very, right, right. very specifically inclined to like tell people about the shameful things we've done. Yeah. Uh, uh, like so, some sort of penance we have to file with me, the rest of society. Let me tell about you how. Our, our, let me tell you how dumb I am. Right. Uh, right. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I, there's a very specific. I think there might be a very specific mentality. It's like, well, I need to publicly out myself about this because somehow it will relieve. Me. Somehow it's the only way to get the shame off my shoulders. That's that's fair. Uh, it's, here, I'll I'll get some shame off my shoulders. Last Sunday, I burnt rye toast. 
uh, left it. I have a toaster oven. I left it in the toaster oven too long. So what I did was I opened my back door and I just frisbeed the toast out into the backyard. <laughs> well, luckily, that's, I know that your I backyard does, in fact, face not the street. <laughs> right. Uh, right. So does. that's good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just like fucking throwing it out into the road. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my house smelled like burnt rye toast oh, for 12 oh, hours. Uh, it was not great. Uh, I left for the day. I came back. It still smelled like it. It was, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> we had a running joke in our family for a long time about burning toast because we would both just do it all the time. Yeah. Like, everybody, we would plow through, like, huge chunks of bread because, like, both of like we're trying to get the kids ready for school in the morning, right? And we would set toast. And then both of us would forget about it. And no matter who set the toast, we would both forget about it. And we, we were, there was a time where we were burning, like, literally the first set of toast every day. It was yeah. like, oh, it's, it's just, it costs us double the toast it should, uh, bread, every day to feed our family. Right. Uh, we haven't really overtly uh, interacted with uh her prostitution and i think that's mostly because we already had that conversation in two or three things yeah uh and it was so recent that we don't feel like we need to yeah, do it I again kind of i was that's uh, where i was kind of mentally at right you know she she does not and doesn't need to feel any shame from her sex work it is probably true that she is committing the sex work by in order to afford her middle class lifestyle right well and i and but, i read it as definitely being able to afford to support her son right being able to afford to support her son but also she is doing this to have sexual encounters without getting into a relationship because she doesn't want to be in a relationship right right absolutely so, you know that's a that's another yeah it's fine right uh yeah so uh obviously i think Viewers coming to this uh, in the same way, uh, even 10 years, you know, nine years after two or three things, eight years, I suppose, actually. Uh, viewers coming to this are probably more often than not uh, of the mentality of Goddard and, and French society during two or three things that there is an inherent wrongness to a suburban mother prostituting herself well i mean you uh, and i come from a society that will regard this thing right, as right, that right 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 like this right. is very this is this seems to be this the, the going that does way, need to right? yes that that sex work still has that stigma and and i suppose the fact that the fact that i don't stigmatize sex work in that way doesn't mean that it doesn't exist right does so, not mean that, um, that our society as a whole has moved to that point right uh, right 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 I mean, so. what, what's what's fascinating about it is, is that like it, you know, as with sex work, always there's that sort of that weird double-faced bullshit that it comes with it, where it's like we're gonna stigmatize. Clearly, the society that she in, he, she is in is, yeah, it's both stigmatized and and then also tacitly hyper encouraged, right, by the entire arrangement of well, everything, the way that everything's set up, right. I think the way she inter- interacts with people outside of her clients in this uh, makes that a makes that a nuanced conversation like her her son seems to know but never overtly says right anything, well I mean her right? son fits into that he, same category as some of those husbands that we right. were talking about in the right. in the like come on you you know something you have to but know. like 
you also like but, we're all we've all agreed to just not talk about this thing. Right. But the neighbor woman whose son she watches also never brings it up and has to know, right? Right. Uh and we get limited interactions with them, of course. So so there's that aspect of it. But the son knows that there's a hidden money stash in the dining room. The son knows. I that... mean, he re- he essentially requests money from it at one right, point. Right, he like right, essentially right. like makes her f- like give him a little yeah. extra and like like well, he know it, like yeah it's yeah like... yeah and and that has a you know the way you just framed it makes me think that has a, a subtle like blackmail aspect to I think, his request I mean, for more money like, i mean so her son's yeah. an asshole period like right. yeah it is a subtle blackmail but it also has that sort of thing like oh you make this money for me don't you kind of right like, you're doing right. this for like there his sense of entitlement is so intense right like it's he, he's he's he such lives a to be served by her yeah. he lives he lives to uh control her it's that moment where he tells her she missed a button. Uh, it's just, yeah. yeah he's, I, I, I was he's kind of man. hoping that she would light him on fire. <laughs> I, I had a kind of dream when I was watching the movies. Like, well, she's clearly starting to snap. Like, things are not going well for her. And yeah. like, I didn't. And now, retroactively, especially, but even during it, I was like, I kind of like she goes in there to light the heater, and I'm like, she could just burn him alive. I think. I think murdering your child is still a bridge too far <laughs> I know, I know. in 75. I know. Well, there's like, uh, there's like I, okay, let's be very clear. I've definitely seen movies where that would be where this goes. They yeah. were not nearly as artistic or well done as this movie is. But like, you know, we're like, she stabs and she like fucking like burns right, the house right. down or something. Uh, those movies exist. Believe yeah. me. Uh, abandoning him, maybe not a bad idea. Also, the fact that he's played by a 25 year old is uh, it, well like, let's be very clear is the most accurate thing about this movie yeah yeah i mean he keeps talking about school like he's in high school but right but, but definitely... i can also buy that he is just one of like i yes he is but i was also sort of mentally reading it as him like being a perpetual student asshole right, right, guy right, like right. M- mooching off his widowed mother like yeah. i don't know he also just seems like I, I put nothing beneath this person, so I was like, yeah, yeah he's probably in college, like some sort of community college type of deal in the in the surrounding area, and like he's still you know figuring himself out. Yeah, taking classes in Flemish for some reason. <laughs> well, I mean they they are living in Belgium. I, know. I guess just, that I just, that makes sense. I, I it, yeah, I'm just I'm just playing around. By yeah, way. yeah. Um, I mean, he could take them in French. There's French. Right, right, right. Maybe the yeah, Flemish school's yeah. better. The fact that nothing this movie is entirely subtext, right? <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, uh yeah. Our our text is mundane routine and uh any reaction is subtext. Uh right. we don't know if the son knows because he just sort of talks, but also he's an asshole who might say these things anyway. Uh you know, the the sisters' letters are obviously very concerned, but never overtly concerned about the state of their life. Right, right? yeah, I of, mean... Of Jean's life in particular. Well, I mean, uh, it's that it's all part of the alienation, right? Is that, like, right. her sister won't come out and just be like... You know, her sister's concerned, but not willing to really... Do, not concerned enough to do anything 
to like right to take any action but also, that would be but also know. living her own life on the other side of an ocean exactly so, well know. exactly yeah it's 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 not simple it's not cut and dry but like you know her sister writes those kind of mean those letters are essentially meaningless right like they don't they right. have no they're not meaningless in the context of the story but they are meaningless right it's like oh we're worried about you it's like, okay cool like you live 1400 miles away or whatever the fuck it is <laughs> right, and like, right 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 and are married and have your own kids and like all this other stuff that has not like yeah cool thank you for writing Yeah, I mean, it, 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 yeah, it's just, it is all subtext. It, it's, but like, it's not, it's not particularly hard to read in the sense that like, there are the elements of it. There, there's the 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 layer that is like, well, we are, we will never have lived this woman's life, right? We will never truly understand what is being portrayed. We'll never have lived Ackerman's life to understand what prompts the creation of this movie and where and where it comes from perfectly. That is the nature of the thing we're doing here. Yeah. <laughs> That's true for all the movies we've ever seen, as far as I can tell. Unless there were... I mean, I guess... Have we watched any movies made by... No. like the, No, it's impossible. We've not watched any movies made by 30-something... Like, late, thir- <laughs> late 30-something white dudes from Ohio who, like, are also millennial... Like, like elder I- millennials who... Ad- admittedly it's the last the last couple uh goddard movies we watched <laughs> were close. made they're when pretty, he was 37 borderline that's true but <laughs> he, even then he was our age actually uh, they're, they're but, contextually yeah. different just because it's, yeah. it's france and not now um <laughs> right but but, but yeah yeah you're making a valid point um and we judged him harshly um <laughs> right but my my point my point is that like we're never going to be any of those things but there are such universal experiences also happening throughout this movie and that's part of what makes it so engaging is the fact that like right we will never fully understand it but we all kind of understand it all the time right because we all are this person it is about a widowed oh you know a widowed woman who's who's essentially still enacting the role of a housewife decide not being a housewife and all these other things but also she is also just a person stuck in her routine that is alienated by the, the nature of the world that's been right. that's built around her boy so, boy howdy we all have that experience don't we yeah but a woman a woman so imprisoned by housewifery that even after her husband dies she is still just in that routine right uh, I, and is, see and is, i do yeah. Right. I mean, there's definitely a there's definitely a comment there. That's definitely what part of Ackerman says. That's what she's going for in the interviews. Right. In in several right. of the inter, in a couple of the interviews. But beyond that, the other thing I thought about when I was watching is that it is both true, I think, and also not true about this movie, in the sense that yes, the routines she's stuck in are those routines. Um, but at the same time, I don't know that her routines would be any different if she hadn't been a housewife. Yeah. Like everything she does, I mean, she cooks a little more food for this asshole son of hers and does right. a few th- and does some things that are intended for him to to deal with his needs. But a great deal of what she does is just the things that you or I would do every day. Just sort of maintenance mode, just human life sustaining yeah. mode, right? Like well, she makes food for whether it's for 
two or for one, she's still just making food every day. She's washing dishes every day. She's doing these little things that she has to do that we all have to do every day. Um, and then and throw in the fact that that's not a unit that while that is specific to um, her, so some of the things she does is specific to her case. Like, for example, my grandfather worked second shift his entire adult life. To the point where the man kept the weird, like as an eighty-year-old, kept the weirdest hours you could ever imagine. Yeah, like, and that was true for him for the entirety of the. Then he started driving buses because buses operate on essentially a, like, essentially a mirror of the of the the second shift schedule, to, well enough that he could like time everything to work properly. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. Like I'm still gonna like get up at the ask. You know, it's I'm still gonna be awake at weird times and go to sleep at weird times. And it, it's just the point being that like that follows. That's the nature of the beast we're in, right? Like we're all gonna be that. Like, you know what time I'm gonna wake up tomorrow? It's way earlier than I should, considering what time I'm gonna go to bed. And some of it has to do with having children, and some of it has to do with the fact that I my ass has to get up every day at that time anyway. Yeah. And I can't help it anymore. Like, even if I wanted to, right? Like, we're all... The point I'm trying to make is that, like, yes, she is, but also... That is still hyper-relatable, right? That that experience of being trapped in this this thing you'll never really fully escape because it's so ingrained in you and a part of society itself is, is a thing that all people experience just sort of a part of the nightmare yeah. machine. <laughs> yes. And on the note of the nightmare machine, it is time to draw this episode to a close. Uh, we've been talking about Jean Dielman, 23, Quai de Commerce, 1080 Brussels, from 1975, directed by uh, Chantal Ackerman. Next week, we'll be talking about The Last Days of Disco, the 1998 uh, Whit Stillman film, uh, so uh, you know, different. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't Maybe. know if we'll continue. I don't Maybe. know. <laughs> Are we going to continue now the the eight movie thread that we can draw with each new with each movie? Uh, I mean, who it knows? sort of depends on how flexible we're willing to be with that thread. Uh, That's fair. That's fair. And gonna... thread is very flexible. Yes, uh, it's one of its defining characteristics. <laughs> Until it snaps. Until it snaps. Ah, uh, it's true. Stabs a man in his bed or burns a 25-year-old son alive. <laughs> just burn the apartment down. That's, that's actually kind of where I was going with this. Not necessarily yeah. burning. He might right. or might not he die might. in the fire. Right, right. I'm not right. going to wake him up. And the fire is starting right beside <laughs> right his bed. Right starting but, next to his bed. Uh, but, like, you know, I mean, like he has a fighting chance. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to Lost Right here. And I am as always Liam Glass. With me as always, John Patrick Ovitari Dorian. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.
This has been Lost in Criteria. I'm your co-host, Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at TheAdamGlass. My partner is John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and you can find him at JPatrickDorgan. Check out more of the show at LostInCriterion.com, or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at Patreon.com slash LostInCriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at JonathanHape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.